Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our big island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 630 and on B93, B97 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime online at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha. Welcome to the Island Conversations podcast, available wherever you get podcasts or at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Today, we are talking about going to the dentist. Some time ago, I went to my own dentist, Dr. Garrett Oka, and he was talking about how instrumental good dental care is to overall health, and I found it to be a super interesting conversation. It was probably kind of one way, since he probably had his hands in my mouth at the time, but it was so interesting, I thought it would be really good to talk with a dentist, and today we have two dentists with us. I'm joined today for this podcast-only conversation by Dr. Stephen Pine, DDS, who is a dentist with West Hawaii Community Health Center. Good morning. Aloha, Dr. Pine. Good morning. And we're also joined by Dr. John Golick, who is a pediatric dentist also at West Hawaii Community Health Center. Good morning. Aloha, Dr. Golick. Good morning. Now, I'd like to ask you, gentlemen, why is dental care important to overall health? How can what happens in the mouth affect the body? Dr. Stephen, would you like to start? That'd be great. You know, the actual idea that oral bacteria can contribute to diseases in other parts of the body has actually been around since the, at least the 19th century. Really? Yes. And what, we're, what we've determined in the last couple decades is they've noticed an association between oral diseases and other, other several systemic diseases, such as cardiovascular disease and diabetes. There are actually two mechanisms that they believe contribute to that. Uh, the first is they believe inflammation in the mouth will lead to other inflammatory markers and cause uh, a localized, or sorry, a systemic uh, inflammation throughout the body. Well, you know, when you say inflammation, particularly since the time of COVID, I've been reading more about how inflammation seems to be the root cause of many, many different diseases, or a disease can cause inflammation which spreads throughout the body. So, So you're saying that a disease in the mouth can, or inflammation in the mouth can actually create disease elsewhere? Yeah, what they, what they believe is that these inflammatory markers will actually affect the body's immune response throughout the body. And so uh, that's one of the two theories that exists. The other one is that they believe that oral bacteria or that the bacteria in the mouth can act as a reservoir for that bacteria to enter the bloodstream. I have heard that bacteria in the mouth can lead to heart problems. Have I got that all wrong, or is there some relationship there? There's a relationship there. More studies are certainly needed to show a uh, causal relationship, but they have noticed that people with oral conditions tend to have more cardiovascular diseases and vice versa. Wow, interesting. Can you tell by looking at somebody's mouth or teeth if they have a disease, a systemic disease? Can you as dentist tell that, Dr. Steve? Absolutely. In fact, in my residency program. Which was where? I'm just curious. Uh, at uh, Queens Medical Center. Oh, really? Lulu. Nice. One of my co-residents uh, removed the tooth on a patient and noticed that the blood and the uh, tissue that was removed 
did not appear normal. We sent that off for a pathology, and it came back that the person had cancer. Really? They were unaware of it at the time. What kind of cancer, if I, you remember? I believe it was lymphoma. Oh, my goodness. So that's kind of amazing to me that you or your partner dentist could look at the tissue. Do you know what it was about the tissue that didn't look right? The blood appeared stringy during the actual procedure itself. The blood appeared stringy? Yes. It was the best way to describe it. Oh, my gosh. We can frequently tell that a patient uh, could be pregnant without them even knowing that that's the case as well. A female patient seeking routine dental care will frequently can during pregnancy develop pregnancy gingivitis yes and so you'll notice this pregnancy gingivitis on the patient and they themselves may not actually know that they're pregnant at the time well that would be an interesting result of going to the dentist congratulations mrs jones yes yes (laughs) have you actually had to tell a patient that they might be i have high I have not. Yes, I, I have not. <laughs> and wow. hopefully that would be a positive conversation. So. <laughs> yeah. But is that something a dentist would tell somebody? Uh, in some cases, I have known of dentists who have asked if the patient was pregnant or if they were aware of that. Uh, and so they have been tested and found out that they were after. It has not happened to me, but it has happened. There are, of course, plenty of other medical conditions. There are actually over 125 medical conditions that do affect the oral cavity. Wow. So, or vice versa. You mentioned already heart disease, diabetes. Mm-hmm. What are some of the others that are more common? Human papillomavirus is one. HIV, AIDS, osteoporosis as well. Uh, autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis will also see a lot of oral manifestations from these systemic diseases. Wow. I also understand that some medications can affect the teeth and mouth. Absolutely. Besides medications that can cause dry mouth, to which I believe there are over 500 now, you can also have medications that can cause, the condition is called a medication-related osteonecrosis of the jaw. And so... Which means what? Yes. It means that these medications can cause bone death in the jaw itself. Some of these medications have a half-life of over 10 years, which means patients could have been on them years ago and have stopped those medications and can actually cause dental-related complications if we're unaware of them. Wow, that's so interesting. Not a medication, but I remember when I've done interviews with the police about meth addicts that Mm. they have referred to something called meth mouth. Yes. What's that? Well, meth mouth is really a combination of things that we see. Uh, So when patients are using meth, they will frequently seek out sugar-containing products, candies, you know, sodas and the like, and we'll notice this very quick changeover in which they will go from not having a lot of cavities to all of a sudden having cavities on almost every tooth. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it's, it can be pretty, uh, pretty stark transformation. So happens. it's not the meth itself. It's what they eat. To my best knowledge and the best research I've seen, that that is the case, yes. Oh. Yeah, they're still ongoing. Um, I wonder if meth dries the mouth. It does as well. And so there's a couple of different factors there with it, yes. Why is it bad to have a dry mouth, Dr. Steve? Saliva acts as the buffer solution. And so when we eat acidic-containing products, Saliva helps buffer that back to a neutral. And when we don't have that saliva, we don't have that buffer, our mouth stays acidic longer. 
And so we have more than uh, acidic attacks on our teeth, and so more, if you will, cavities uh, can develop in that environment. If you had a dry mouth, could you drink water and help solve the problem? Yes and no. Drinking water is really a quick temporary solution, unfortunately. The saliva also contains plenty of other products beyond just water itself that helps with these buffering capabilities. There are products on the market that do try and help with that, but there is no true substitute for saliva. Dr. John, I understand that you are a pediatric dentist. You specialize in children. How early should dental care for kids start? How early should parents start addressing mouth issues and have their kids' teeth brushed, even maybe before the child can do it themselves? And then at what age should the child begin to see a dentist? Actually, parents should begin very early. I think the parents should begin cleaning their baby's gums with an infant toothbrush or a cloth after every feeding, starting right from the day of birth, and then start brushing the first tooth or first teeth as they come in, and the baby's tongue with a soft bristled toothbrush, using a smear, just a smear or a grain of rice-sized amount of fluoridated toothpaste twice a day as soon as the first teeth come in. Also, parents should avoid nursing their children or their babies to sleep or putting anything other than water in their bedtime bottle. By three years of age, they can use a little more toothpaste, a pea-sized amount of fluoridated toothpaste twice a day, and they should start flossing their children's teeth as soon as teeth begin touching each other. They should remember that young children don't really have the ability to brush their teeth effectively until Mm -hmm. they're about nine years of age when they would be able to do script handwriting (laughs) in school. And children should be seen by a pediatric dentist when the first tooth comes in. And why is that? Why so soon with only one tooth? Well, the pediatric dentist, one, will help with these preventive tips and education, how to brush and how to take care of the the new teeth that are coming in. But also, we can see problems very early on the tooth itself, or there may be other conditions in the mouth that the parent may be unaware of. Most infants have healthy mouths, but you never know. So it's not a bad idea to have a good dental check early on with a dentist who's looking closely at everywhere in the mouth. And so we recommend that first check with the dentist as soon as the first tooth comes in or no later than the child's first birthday. And then, of course, a checkup every six months is recommended in order to help prevent cavities and catch things early and look for any other dental problems. Dr. John, you mentioned brushing with fluoridated toothpaste. And I know that the CDC has said that community water fluoridation is one of the top 10 greatest public health achievements of the 20th century. And that is because of the impact of fluoride on teeth. Now, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I know our water was fluoridated. But here in Hawaii, we do not have fluoridated water. So why is fluoridation, fluoridated toothpaste, fluoridated water, why is that a good thing? Number one, fluoride prevents tooth decay. It, It just basically does that? It does. How Uh, does it do that? Do you have any idea? Yes. Fluoride actually helps the tooth to to help prevent demineralization from the acid attacks that Dr. Pine was speaking about. And it helps the saliva to remineralize the enamel that has demineralized after each each, each time we eat, we get an acid attack. No matter what we eat? Unless it's just water. Yeah. Uh, typically, there's going to be an acid attack as long as there's carbohydrates, so sugar or starches. How about vegetables or fruit? Yeah, well, vegetables and fruits are made of starches and sugars. 
carbohydrates. So unless you're eating something that's pure protein and fat, like cheese or steak. Beef, beef jerky, steak, <laughs> yes, yeah, then you're going to have this acid attack. <laughs> and, and the drinks that we drink, except for the creamy ones like milk, tend to be acidic, and they have sugars or carbohydrates typically in them unless they're unsweetened. So the fluoride helps that remineralization happen more readily, more quickly. And then the calcium and phosphorus ions can get back into that tooth and repair the damage that's done each time we eat. A lot of people seem concerned about the concept of putting fluoride in water, although I didn't notice anything growing up. Uh What are the downsides of fluoride, if any? Well, the fluoride in the water is the most efficient way to prevent one of the most common childhood diseases, tooth decay. And the studies show that fluoride in the community water systems prevents at least 25% of tooth decay in children and adults. Even now, at a time with widespread use of fluoride from other sources like toothpaste, fluoride is natural. It's naturally occurring. It's present in many groundwater supplies. It's present in the ocean, actually, in the optimal amount. So the community water fluoridation adjusts the fluoride level to the recommended level. So if it's too much, it'll be brought down to a, a safer, a more optimal level that's safe for health and prevents tooth decay. And if it's not enough fluoride, then fluoride is added. Some water supplies have none. Most have some insignificant amount at least. Well, it sounds like it occurs naturally, so it might be there even if you didn't really actively put it there. Well, not in all water supplies. They started community water fluoridation in 1950. Prior to that, it was noticed that some communities had very low rate of tooth decay, but some of those communities had high rates of dental fluorosis, which is a like a white or maybe sometimes if it's uh, a lot of fluoride, a yellow or brown modeling of the teeth, but they weren't getting tooth decay. So what the optimal level of fluoride allows for is preventing the tooth decay, but not causing the modeling of the enamel. You mentioned fluoridated toothpaste. Are there other things that dentists can do to help a kid have the proper amount of fluoride for their teeth? What are the options here? Well, the big thing, fluoride supplementation, which we can prescribe. The dentist or the physician or pediatrician can prescribe a fluoride tablet or drops for the infant or the child to take when they're not getting fluoride in their, in their water intake. So we would want to know what water is the child drinking? Does it have fluoride or not? Are they drinking well water? Are they drinking water from the public water supply? Are they drinking bottled water? And then if they're drinking bottled water, is it fluoridated or not? What kind are they buying? It's a lot of things to look at. I didn't even realize that bottled water might have fluoride in it. Yes, you can find bottled waters with fluoride. Often it's called infant water or nursery water. Oh, fascinating. Other preventive measures that help but don't take the place of the fluoridated water are brushing twice a day with a fluoridated toothpaste, using a daily fluoride mouth rinse once the child is old enough to spit it out, which is usually around age five or six, avoiding nursing your baby to sleep, limiting the frequency, all of us, any age, limiting the frequency of snacking any sweets or starches. So all of our baked goods, uh, like you said, fruits and vegetables, everything but protein, fat, so meats and cheeses, right, for the most part, and limiting the frequency of drinking sweetened and or acidic beverages such as juices, sodas, sports drinks, 
energy drinks. You know, the, those, those beverages are loaded with sugar. And what happens in the mouth is the bacteria take the sugar. The bacteria make acid when they use the sugar for their own fuel. And that acid attacks the teeth. And all those, almost all of those sweetened beverages are acidic to begin with, so there's this extra acid. Another thing that could be tried uh, to help prevent tooth decay is xylitol. It's a natural sweetener from a tree, um, and it can be found in uh, chewing gums, lozenges. There's infant wipes used to wipe baby's teeth with a xylitol wipe. You've talked about fluoride and mostly the impact as you grow up. Should adults be supplementing in some way with fluoride to continue not having cavities, or is that not an issue really for adults no, as much? No, the, the recommendation for fluoride supplementation, like tablets or drops, is for age 6 months to 16 years of age when the permanent teeth are developing. Because permanent teeth, for the most part, except for wisdom teeth, are calcifying mostly between birth and age three, maybe four or five years. So those first few years are really critical for getting the fluoride into the developing permanent teeth, not the ones that we see in the baby's or the uh, preschooler's mouth, but the permanent ones that are calcifying during that time. They're going to get fluoride that's going to help prevent cavities for the rest of that child's life. Meaning that the adult teeth are already in the child? Yes. Teeth develop very early. So the tooth buds are beginning their development during the first trimester. The baby teeth begin calcifying in utero, uh, probably during the second trimester. Uh, and then the permanent teeth are just starting to calcify around the time of birth. So the permanent teeth are actually already there. Yes. But they're probably pretty small. <laughs> yeah, well, they go through different stages. Dr. Steve, did you want to add anything? Yes, you were asking about fluoride for adults. Certainly in some situations, we do recommend supplemental fluoride, if you will, for the adult population, particularly those individuals that have had head and neck radiation will end up having extreme dry mouth situations, as we've already talked about. Uh, one of the tools we'll utilize for those individuals is to actually develop uh, fluoride trays for them. So kind of like how people will have take-home trays where they put bleach in there to bleach their teeth. In a similar manner, we'll have those trays where we'll put fluoride in those trays um, daily for those individuals to help prevent them from getting tooth decay to combat that dry mouth situation that they have. So the radiation creates dry mouth? It can affect the salivary glands, you know, that direct attack, if you will, that direct radiation on the salivary glands because they won't produce as much saliva. They'll be more prone to developing dental-related problems. You mentioned bleaching teeth. Mm. Is there any danger in people having their teeth bleached? You know, for most individuals, one of the biggest issues is sensitivity that they will develop or could develop with it. Typically, when we're bleaching, we're trying to bleach the enamel of the teeth. And so the dentin that makes up the bulk of the tooth that's below that enamel, of course, is more yellow in color. And so as people get older and they will wear down their enamel, you will start to see a little bit more of that yellow in there. So for some individuals, bleaching can be effective in, in you know, causing the uh, teeth to whiten. For other individuals, it just it won't be as effective, but can actually cause them to have quite a bit of sensitivity as well. Is the over-the-counter bleaching like, um, I don't know, Crest White Strips, those things, are they as effective as getting bleaching through your dentist? 
No, uh, they they do. And I work. knew you'd say that, but I, <laughs> I want to know why. <laughs> they, they they do work. They will work to a certain degree. The level of professional bleaching, if you will, that's done in uh, dental offices is typically we'll see better results with that and not as much sensitivity as we would have expected getting those same results. So for most individuals that come in and do professional bleaching, they're, they're quite happy with the final results. But it is, a, if you will, an inexact science. We can't exactly predict where somebody's going to end up before we begin. When you do professional dental bleaching, what are you actually doing? I've seen pictures of people with their mouth open and some kind of machine beaming mm-hmm. at them, but you talked about trays, so give us a well, sense. Well, there's, there's a couple different ways of doing it. You have, if you will, an in-office bleaching system, as you kind of described, and there's a few different ways of doing that, whether it involves a light or doesn't involve a light. And then we have take-home bleaching, if you will, that involves the trays. And in some cases, it's a combination of the two. So it really does depend on the uh, product that you're using the system that's being used and and each one is effective in their own in their own way it just depends on how we want to get there so to speak and a brief interruption to remind you this is island conversations in a podcast only discussion with dr stephen pine and dr john Golick. both are dentists at west hawaii community health center dr pine is a general dentist and dr Golick is a pediatric dentist specializing in children. I've been wanting to do an Island Conversations about dental care for quite a long time, and I'm very pleased we got it in before December 31st, as that's my retirement date. You may hear other Island Conversation podcasts wherever you got this podcast or at kwxx.com or at b97hawaii.com. I have a couple of additional podcasts that will be posted with Dr. Rick Bennett, all about water quality on the island, and then my final Island Conversations, which will be on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and on B97B93, and will be posted as a podcast, is all about gratitude with a number of people from the island ranging from Senator Maisie Hirono to Ka'iu Kimura of Imiloa Astronomy, Doug Simons of Canada-France-Hawaii Telescope, our three most recent mayors. i just like to find out how, in times of challenge, people are able to find gratitude. And I'll talk about what I'm grateful for as well. Before we get back to our conversation, I'd like to thank both our sponsors this month. First, KTA Superstores, our sponsor since we began this program on KWXX in March of 2019. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. I love my school. My school feels like family. At Parker School, we are one ohana. At Parker School, your child is known, valued, and nurtured in a safe and diverse community. We invite you on a Valina visit, a virtual campus tour to meet our school community and discover our historic campus in the heart of Waimea. Join our ohana, where students feel safe to explore, evolve, and excel as compassionate learners engaging enthusiastically in life. Call 885-7933 or visit parkerschoolhawaii.org to register, learn about financial aid opportunities, or about Parker School. Thanks also to Parker School in Waimea. And now we get back to Dr. Stephen Pine and Dr. John Golick 
all about dental care, how it affects our health, and what we should really understand about the dentist and dental care and how to care for our own teeth and that of our children. I want to go back to Dr. John as a pediatric dentist. How can parents or how should parents prepare their keiki if they are going to go to the dentist? Because it's a definitely different experience. Tell us. One way they can do that, well, first, don't over-prepare them. And be careful not to promise them what the dentist will do or won't do. And like, don't say this is going to hurt. Don't say this is going to hurt. Don't frighten them. So one good way is to get a children's book or a couple children's books from the library, for instance. On the first dental visit, there's, you know, the Berenstain Bears go to the dentist. And most of those books are very good at preparing a child for, uh, you know, like a fun dental visit, which is what we want which is what we try to do when they're young. We try to make it fun. Yeah. For preparing for treatment, it's best to leave that more to the dentist or the pediatric dentist to explain what's going to happen. For a parent, the best way is to say the dentist is going to tell you everything that he or she is going to do when you get there. And it's best for the parent not to be frightened or anxious. If the parent is anxious, even if they're trying to hide it, children usually pick up on that. Parents who are not anxious, who trust their child's dentist, tend to bring in children who do better at the dental visit because then the child doesn't have a reason to be anxious. Dr. Steve, how should adults care for their teeth? Brushing the teeth twice a day for two minutes with, with a soft bristled toothbrush is recommended. It's also recommended to floss daily and to use a fluoridated toothpaste as well. It's not a bad idea to use a fluoridated mouth rinse as well once a day. There are plenty of videos and techniques and tips on the ADA's website. Uh, that American Dental Association? Yes, that's correct. Uh, that can be viewed for individuals that would like ideas on techniques. You mentioned using a soft bristle brush. Why is that? Because using a soft bristle toothbrush will effectively achieve what we're trying to get, which is the removal of the plaque accumulation on the teeth. Hard bristle toothbrushes can actually, over time, brush away part of the tooth structure, much like having water drip on concrete over time and causing a hole to develop in the concrete. Brushing with those hard bristle toothbrushes can actually cause problems with the teeth and gums. I'm surprised they continue to sell them then. <laughs> they work very well to wax in between cracks on your car. Clean the grout <laughs> in your shower. Or clean your shower, yes. Oh, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> so what's your opinion about electric toothbrushes and water picks and things like that? I think they're all tools in our toolbox. I do believe that electric toothbrushes are effective. I think the biggest thing that electric toothbrushes do for us is they run for two minutes. And so when people have a manual toothbrush, they quickly stop brushing before the two-minute mark. Electric toothbrushes, when they start, tend to have a two-minute cycle on them. And so that's a, that's a big improvement over the manual toothbrush, if you will. But both are very effective. And so how about water picks? Does that take the place of flossing? Water picks are a great tool or an adjunct to flossing especially with individuals that have bridges or implants, water picks do a great job of getting that big stuff that may be trapped underneath of there out of there. But nothing does take that place of the traditional flossing. Also, individuals that may have problems with manual dexterity, the water pick can be a good tool to use. 
A lot of people don't grow up going to the dentist. Their families couldn't afford it or whatever. Let's say one is an adult. How does one know that they should see a dentist, that there may be something wrong with their teeth or mouth? Well, in some cases, it can be quite difficult to actually determine that there's something wrong. Typically, by the time somebody already feels discomfort, it may be a little too late. We may have to do more advanced dental procedures to correct that. So it's best to see a dentist prior to having any pain or discomfort in your mouth. Certainly, if an individual is experiencing pain or swelling, it's good to go to the dentist and get that evaluated. But it's best to start out or to get to the dentist before those problems develop. It also is much cheaper for us to treat those issues, typically, before they become more advanced problems. And I'm guessing that's why it's sort of customary to have people go to the dentist every six months. That's correct. Okay, so if one goes to the dentist, what should they expect from the hygienist and from the dentist? What are the kinds of things that would typically be done on a dental visit? Well, typically for an adult patient, the hygienist is going to be measuring the gum tissue to tooth ratio. We want to see how healthy the gum tissues are. The hygienist is going to clean any plaque or calculus off of the teeth. And the dentist is going to do an examination to determine their periodontal health or their gum tissue health, if you will, determine any cavities that may be there or any other treatment considerations. You mentioned a few things that I want to follow up on. First of all, you mentioned gums. So when we brush our teeth, should we be brushing our gums as well? Absolutely. We should be holding that toothbrush at a 45-degree angle to the tooth so that the bristles are getting down in the pocket between the gum and tooth itself. And of course, brushing all the surfaces of the teeth. And the mouth. Absolutely. Okay. Tongue as well. Okay. Now you mentioned plaque and calculus. What are those? Plaque is the accumulation of food particles on the teeth. Calculus is when that calcifies and mineralizes and becomes stuck on the actual tooth itself. Calculus itself cannot be removed with just toothbrushing alone. That's what the hygienist is there to do, is to help remove that calculus and that plaque for us. What about dental x-rays? How often are they needed and why are they important? Dr. John? Dental x-rays? Well, initially, uh, the first time we see a patient, we usually want a full set of dental x-rays. With a child, if we see any problems, we would want an x-ray at a young age. But otherwise, we start with uh, an image of the upper front teeth and the lower front teeth that shows the roots of those baby teeth and the developing permanent teeth. It's more of a developmental uh, check for us to see are there any extra teeth, which can often happen in the front, uh, or missing teeth, for instance, uh, or any other pathology that might be there in that area. And it gives us an indication of how well the child will tolerate dental x-rays. X-rays in the back, for instance, the cavity-checking bite wing x-rays, we call them bite wings because the patient bites down on a little, it used to be a little wing of paper on the film, and now it's often a little bite tab or whatever, but they bite down. We take that image, one on each side or two on each side, depending on the size of the patient, and that checks in between the teeth for cavities where the teeth are contacting each other. For a child, sometimes the molars, the teeth in the back, are not contacting each other yet, and in that case, we can see them on the exam. We don't need those x-rays until the teeth are actually touching each other, so we would wait until that whatever age that is. And then we want them periodically, depending on the risk level that that 
child or patient has for getting cavities. We do a risk assessment on every patient to determine if they're low, moderate, or high risk for cavities. You know, if they're low risk, they need the x-rays less often, and if they're high, uh, you know, more often, maybe every six months. Well, what would make somebody high or low risk for cavities? Their habits, you know, snacking, how often is the person or the child snacking? Are they taking anything to drink to bed with them, a nursing to bed or a bottle to bed or a sippy cup to bed? Are they brushing their teeth? Are they brushing their teeth twice a day? Are they using a fluoridated toothpaste as opposed to one that's not? Do they live in an area where the community water is fluoridated? Are they drinking that water? Or if not, are they taking a supplement? Other risk factors based on the exam, the chewing surfaces. Do the chewing surfaces have deep nooks and crannies that catch food? Uh, Food sticks there easily? Or do they have signs of decay already? Either they already have cavities or um, it looks like they're starting to get cavities. We see demineralization, like white spots on the teeth caused by the acid attacks. Those Those would put the patient at high risk. A dry mouth, if they're taking medications that cause mm-hmm. dry mouth, that's another high risk. Or appliances, if they're in braces or have a space maintainer appliance. Or uh, in an adult, if they have urges and partial dentures, that's that sort of thing. Dr. John, you mentioned braces. What causes a child to need braces, or an adult even? I mean, I had braces when I was growing up. What did I do to make that happen? Uh, it wasn't well, I fun. I didn't like it. Many children could benefit from braces or orthodontic treatment. The idea behind that is having the teeth lined up properly, one straight and contacting each other properly without being turned or rotated or or crap, crowded or crooked, basically. Because when teeth are crowded or turned and, and not lined up, they collect more food and debris when we eat. They're harder to keep clean. So if the teeth are straight, they're easier to keep clean. They stay clean more easily naturally just when you're eating and brushing. So that's the reason to have straight teeth other than it looks nice. What things do we see in kids to cause the need for braces? I'd say the biggest thing is there's not enough space for the teeth, so they're crowded, they're crooked. And they grow in that way. Yes. The other thing would be alignment that causes a problem with the bite. They can cause the the lower jaw to have to shift to be able to bite into things and to chew. If a child is shifting their jaw every time they swallow and every time they chew, their jaw can grow asymmetrically. So those kinds of things are nice to address early on before the child has grown much. And you can see that situation when you examine the child. Yes. It's hard to tell on an infant that doesn't have any molars in yet. But once the molars start coming in, which is between like 12, 13 months of age and 18 months of age, we can start to see if there's crossbites or not, and if there's a malocclusion that involves one jaw ahead of the other or behind the other. Uh, we start seeing those things. Certainly by the time all the baby teeth are in and when the child is by three years of age. We can see that. And we also can see the space issues and predict with our little crystal ball. <laughs> we can predict some things, like the crowding. It's not for sure at that age, but we can. But once the first permanent teeth come in, which is uh, the front teeth are coming in on a child age six, seven, eight years old. So by seven, that's when the orthodontist recommends the orthodontic evaluation. And if your child's seeing a pediatric dentist, we're doing that all along each time we see the child. 
and we'll make the referral to the orthodontist at the appropriate time. Can thumb sucking cause a child to need braces? Yes, most definitely. Thank you for asking that. Well, yeah, I stopped. The, I stopped. thumbs can do that pacifiers the nipples on bottles can cause malocclusions none of those things that the young child sucks on is exactly like the breast the nipple of the breast so those nipples on the pacifiers and bottles and then the thumb is worse they can cause uh, malocclusions or misalignment of teeth open bites the front teeth won't come together because there's something between the teeth all the time when they have that habit. And then it can cause lower front teeth to be tipped back, upper front teeth to be pushed forward, buck teeth. Dr. Steve, how would you address the fear that some people have of going to the dentist, which I'm guessing is mostly based about pain, but I don't know. How do you, how do you deal with that? Or what can you say to help people not be fearful of the dentist? I think the best thing is for individuals to be upfront with their dentist. When we know that somebody is fearful to come to the dentist, it allows us to address that fear head on. For some individuals, it's the fear of the unknown. So if we explain what we're doing to them, if we're upfront about everything that's going to happen, it helps ease those fears. For other individuals, it's that they don't wanna know what's going on. They wanna lay back, close their eyes, and have us take care of them as best as we can. So I think being upfront with your dental provider is very important to helping to address those issues. Unfortunately, a lot of people wait until they are in pain until they go and see the dentist. And if they are coming in for those regular checkups, we can oftentimes deal with these issues before that ever becomes a problem and makes the visit much better for everyone involved. What kind of insurance is generally available for dental care? Because I think that's one thing that has not encouraged people to go to the dentist. I'm sure when I grew up, there was no dental insurance, but it was very common to have medical insurance. Tell us what generally we would see here in the state. We're in an interesting time with everything that's going on with the pandemic. And I think we have more people now that have unfortunately been laid off because of that pandemic than ever before. And as such, there may actually be a lot of people that are unaware that they may qualify for Medicaid insurance. Medicaid does provide basic comprehensive services for our Keiki patients and provides emergency services for our adult patients that qualify. I would encourage people, if they think they may qualify, to reach out to Medicaid either on their website, their office, or they can see one of our eligibility specialists at West Hawaii Community Health Center. And that's called Quest here in the state, that's, right? That's correct, yes. Outside of that, there are private insurance plans as well, either through people's individual employers, or they can actually go out and purchase plans on their own as well. Dental insurance is quite different than medical insurance. Uh, typically, medical insurance does tend to cover you for the catastrophic, whereas dental insurance tends to cover you more for the basic, if you will. There's kind of a joke that if you took dental insurance and compared it to homeowner's insurance and your house burned down, they wouldn't pay to rebuild your home, but they would come and wash your windows still twice a year. (laughs) I love that. Well, I know that Kaiser now is going to be providing dental insurance, basic dental insurance as part of their plan, and it could be purchased before, but it was what you said, you know, it's two visits a year to the dentist Mm -hmm. and one set of bite wing x-rays a year, but you're right, when it came to all the other things that you might need. 
that's not generally covered. Is that sort of how it works with most dental insurances here that you buy? I don't really know. Yeah, for most dental insurances, that's correct. It does depend on the plan. And so it's a wise idea for individuals that do have insurance or who are looking to purchase insurance to really look into the details of those plans. As they say, the uh, fine print is where everything matters. And so looking at that, I think is really, really important to knowing what you're getting with the plans when you are picking them. I've actually found it's easier to look at dental insurance than medical insurance to understand what's covered. (laughs) You talked about COVID. What are you doing and what are dentists in general here on the island doing to keep people safe during the time of COVID? Because when your mouth is open and a dentist or hygienist is doing things, I'd say you're more subject to having the aerosols out there that have been spoken of as being how COVID is spread. Absolutely. Dentistry was recognized early on as being a high-risk profession when it came to COVID. With that being said, I think that you know, for dentistry to really trace its roots back to what happened in the, uh, I would say, the 80s with the changeover in infection control procedures in dentistry then, I think really helped set us up for success during this time as well. And so dental offices during the initial start of the pandemic did close down and they stayed open for only emergency services. That allowed time to prepare for all of these new changes that we had to adapt to. So your, your dentist typically these days is wearing an N95 mask along with their assistant, quite possibly their front desk team as well, wearing face shields and gowns, practicing all the recommended PPE protocol from the uh, Center for Disease Control. Outside of that, dentists are also increasing their frequency of cleanings that we already do in the dental offices as well. We're doing symptom checks on patients prior to showing up to the office. We're also frequently calling patients after they've left the office as well, a couple days after, making sure that they have not developed any symptoms and maybe were asymptomatic at the time of their visit. So there's a lot of steps, a lot of changes that have happened to keep everyone safe. With that being said, the American Dental Association has done surveys since the start of the pandemic and have found that dental offices are actually one of the safer places right now to be. That's good to know. I know that my own dentist, I went not long ago, and he has what I would call a high-powered vacuum that's over the head that kind of sucks up everything. And he actually has always had something like that. But this one seems more like a giant vacuum. Yes, yes. So those are the uh, external suction devices And so there's definitely been more of a widespread adoption of those devices since the start of the pandemic as well. There have been a lot of different protocols in place, and that is certainly one that offices can employ to help try and keep patients safe during this time. Dr. Steve and Dr. John, I want to ask both of you for an opinion. If somebody wants to go into dentistry or be a dental hygienist, what should they do starting when they're in high school? How should they prepare academically? I would say they want to get the grades in high school that they need to get into college. When they're in college, they need to take the prerequisite courses that are required for getting into dental school. Which are like what? Chemistry, biology, biochemistry. Organic uh, chemistry. Organic chemistry. It may vary. Look at the websites for the dental schools and see what the prerequisites are. I think it would be good if individuals are interested in the field to talk to their dentist about shadowing to see what it's like to work in a dental office, to see what the 
daily activities actually are being in a dentist because uh, one's perception may be different from actuality. I was going to say a high school student or a college student can uh, volunteer in a dental office or at a medical center that has a dental clinic. I did that in, in college. I volunteered as a dental assistant in a hospital near my college. I learned a lot more about dentistry than I ever knew before. So you need a college degree, but then tell us about dental school. How long is it? And just a little more. Sure. Dental school is a four-year program. After the four-year program, you can go on to specialties such as Dr. John has. or Pediatric dentistry. Pediatric dentistry. Oh, that's a specialty. Yes, uh, as well as oral surgery, periodontics, endodontics. There are a number of other ones as well. In addition, you could also do a general practice residency program after you graduated dental school, such as myself. I did a one-year program at Queens Medical Center in Honolulu to get a little bit more experience before I went out and started practicing. What else should we know about dental care? Anything that we have not talked about, Dr. John? We have covered a lot. I would like to just mention the importance of the baby teeth. A lot of people will ask, why treat the baby teeth? Are they important? Why bother? Many parents don't realize how long the baby teeth are actually present in the mouth. The baby teeth start coming in around six months of age, and the last baby tooth to fall out is usually not until around the age, uh, on average, 12 years old. So those baby teeth are there quite a while for that child, and they are not only important for looks, but they help the child to speak more clearly. They help the child to chew properly so they can get a proper nutrition. That's one thing that Dr. Oka told me, that digestion really starts with chewing the food properly. Yes. So if your teeth are not there or they're broken down, you can't chew properly. You may not choose the same foods. You may choose things that are softer and easier to deal with than things that are that take more time to chew, especially if it's hurting. And the baby teeth, when they get decayed or they get cavities, they can get infected, and that infection can damage the developing permanent tooth underneath. The baby teeth will drift into each other, into the cavities, and they'll get closer together, and the child will lose space for those permanent teeth to come in. And like I said earlier, when the permanent teeth come in, if they don't have enough room, they're crowded, it's harder to keep them clean, they're more likely to get cavities on those teeth and gum disease. Those baby teeth help guide the permanent teeth in. If they're removed early, it can delay the permanent tooth coming in. Uh, so those baby teeth are quite important. Children who have bad teeth will have dental emergencies with toothaches or swellings, and then they're pulled out of school, they're missing classes to get the treatment. Whereas if they get that preventive check every six months, keep things under control, and hopefully not get any cavities or not many cavities, you know, things are so much better. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. John Golick, for being with us. Thank you. Dr. Stephen Pine, what else should we know? I would just like to emphasize that oral health is important to overall health. You cannot be healthy without oral health. That's it. That's it. I think that's an important message for us all to understand. Dr. Stephen Pine, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much. I am delighted to have both of our guests today, both Dr. John Golick and Dr. Stephen Pine are with West Hawaii Community Health Center, and we have many, many fine dentists on this island. So I urge you, if you need a new dentist, we have plenty. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Aloha. 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 
and to our listeners, thank you so much for being with us. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by Parker School and by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. And by New West Broadcasting.